This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Extra, extra, read all about it. Police killings of blacks is not racially motivated. Yeah, you heard me right. Welcome to the program. You know, this whole movement, this Black Lives that I've renamed Black Lies because it is premised on the hands up, don't shoot lie. It is the bastard child of a lie, which makes it illegitimate, an illegitimate movement. And you know, I have been involved in a lot of conversations. I've been interviewed incessantly on this issue, locally and nationally. And I have said ad nauseum, ad nauseum, show me the data, show me the research that suggests that police officers, white police officers, inordinately kill black males as if it were some sort of sport. That a black male is more likely to be killed by a police officer in encounter than any other race or any other gender. So here we go once again. And you know, I've said over and over, after I say, show me the data, I've read the research. I've read the data. Several studies that pass research standards that show that none of this is true. None of the lies being promoted by the, or propagated, I should say, by the Democrat Party, by the left, by liberals, by by black racialists, none of it passes any research muster. It's not legitimate research. It's junk. So I come across this research, new research. This appeared in the New York Times, the paper of record in the United States of America. This thing will get no play beyond that. I suppose the people who read the New York Times and saw this, and when they saw what what it exposed, I'm sure they just stopped reading and said, well, I'm not going to pay any attention to that. I'll go back to the propaganda, the myths, the lies, the rhetoric that cops target black males unlawfully. I'm sure that's what happened. But you cannot deny the research. You cannot deny the reality. So this latest research by Senhill Melanathan is titled Police Killing Killings of Blacks, What the Data Says. Now, it's an unlikely source, and here's why. Melanathan is a professor of economics at, you ready for this? Harvard University. Harvard University. That bastion of liberal indoctrination and politics. This isn't from some right-winger out of, like, Hillsdale College, some conservative university or think tank. 
This is a professor of economics at Harvard University. And it's very telling. Because in it, you can see by by what's written here, and I'm going to comment as I read it. This is important, folks, because we have to continue to shoot down this lie, this propaganda about black lives matter. Or as I say, black lies, L-I-E-S. Because they're going to keep coming with it. They're going to keep coming with it because it's a political construct now. Heading into the 2016 election, It is a mobilizing force, a get-out-the-vote drive to get blacks to the poll, polls to vote for Democrats on Election Day. And I sat up here listening to a couple of clips because I didn't watch that crazy, you know, they like to call them debates, the Democrat debate. I've got tired of watching the Republican debate, too, so I'm kind of like an equal opportunity non-watcher now because these things don't amount to anything. They're not talking about anything substantive, and I'm not talking about the issues. What I mean by that is I haven't heard heard anybody present a clear vision for America, and that's what I want to hear first. When I sat up there and watched them handle this question, uh, do black lives matter? Yeah, this is silly. This borderlines on silliness. Do black lives matter? Who cares? Yeah, I said that. I said that. Who cares? Let's talk inside of that. So Bernie Sanders sat up there and told a lie. And he said, any black in America knows that they could be the next Sandra Bland who gets pulled over for a traffic violation and ends up dead. Well, first of all, Mr. Sanders, you kook. You kook socialist. Sandra Bland committed suicide. Okay, so let's, you know, when I say the propaganda and the myths and the lies, she committed suicide. That's tragic enough in itself. I'm going to blame that on the police. If every time the police come in contact with somebody and then somebody goes out and commits suicide over it, you're going to blame the police on that? Not hardly. I'm not going to let you get away with it anyway. And then all the other answers, other than Jim Webb, you know, uh, yeah, of course, black lives matter. All lives matter. Yeah, except for this crowd, except the life of the unborn child in the womb. That life does not matter. They forgot about that one. That would have been a great follow-up when they got through with all their theatrics. Uh, You want to comment on the... Life of the unborn child in the womb, does that life matter? But no, they had to stay away from that, right? Anderson Cooper, whatever his name is, had to stay away from that one. So anyway, you know, I find this new research, and I've read it all. And I know, and that's why I say, show me the evidence, show me the research, I'll take a look at it. I know how research should be put together. I've done it myself. I'm not a research expert. However, I did research in my graduate school degree program that had to pass rigorous standards for research. And you were challenged and you were sent back when you did papers. And as I worked on my thesis and they kept throwing it back 
with comments. You need to bring more of this out here. How do we know this over there? Who else thinks about this over here to strengthen the argument? They taught me how to strengthen an argument. They also taught me how to drill down into somebody else's rhetoric or propaganda to find weaknesses, to peel the layers back and to challenge their assumptions and their analysis. That's what I mean by when I say, I know how research should be done. So when I see it, I take a look at it. And so I saw this piece here, this research by Melanathan, and I says, well, I'm going to take a look at this because the, the title was enticing. The title, Police Killings of Blacks, what the data says. And I Because I always say, right, show me the data. So this article suggests we're going to show you the data. And I said, good. So as I read through this article, and we're going to spend some time on this, because like I said, this has become a political construct that, folks, we have to kill. That's right. We must give this thing its proper burial. Because it's junk. It's a political construct. And it is an attack on the institution of American policing in America. Or should I just say policing in America? It's an attack. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio. America WK, with your host, Andrew WK. Is life good or bad? There's an energy there. There's an energy. That's what you can feel as anxiety. That's what you can feel as confusion or as stress. That is energy. And I don't mean just uh, thought energy or emotional energy. I mean a real physical energy, the kind of energy that can make your body move around. America WK, Saturdays, 10 a.m. to noon on the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. So let's get into this study, this research by this uh, professor, Melena Than, Harvard College, Harvard University, whatever you want to call it. He's an economist. I believe the guy knows how to do research, but it's like anything else. You know, and, and you know, I point out that I did a thesis, and a thesis is an argument. In other words, you make an argument. You make a claim, and then you prove it or disprove it. But in going about it, you must also, in your thesis, you must pull out counter arguments to your own thesis. In other words, what people are saying that challenge your structure, your assumption. In other words, you set out to prove something. You make an argument and you're going to prove it. But you can't just spend all the pages proving it. You also have to show that there's another side of the evidence, too. And, and you know, oftentimes uh, that's where it gets a little dicey for people because they go into it with this mindset, this bias, if you will. You know, we hear so much about police bias. There is bias on the part of these researchers because they, they, they claim, it's the researchers that claim uh, bias is inherent in all human beings. I believe that. But that includes them. But nobody points out their biases because they're the expert, right? 
They're the intelligentsia. They're smarter than everybody else. And we look in awe at these people in ivory towers and these colleges and universities. And, well, that guy's pretty smart. So if he said something, it must be true. No, he made a statement and, 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 and tried to go about proving it. But that doesn't mean that it is the final truth. So anyway, the New York Times, remember, that's where this appeared. All the news that's fit to print. Well, this was worthy of printing, trust me. Here we go. Put your seatbelts on. Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Walter Scott, Michael Brown, each killing raises a disturbing question. Would any of these people have been killed by police officers if they had been white? Let me stop there, right out of the gate. First of all, that question is no more valid than, say, would they have been killed by police officers if they'd been female? Well, maybe, maybe not. That's my point. I, I, I don't know. Let's, that's worthy of discussion. Back to the story. I have no special insight into the psychology of police officers or into the complicated forensics involved in such cases. I'm glad he points that out. Answering this question in any single situation can be difficult and divisive. Two outside experts this month concluded, for example, that the shooting of Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old boy in Cleveland who was carrying a toy gun, was a reasonable if tragic response. And that will hardly be the last word on the subject. But I might add, it should be the last word on the subject because, as Thomas Sowell, the economist who's done research and works for, on, I don't know how they uh, term that, the Hoover Institute, Stanford University, a guy that I admire. I've read a lot of his works. He's smarter than I could ever want to be. He's probably smarter than all of us in this audience put together. I don't say that about many people, but I can demonstrate that some other time. You hear me quote him a lot or cite him a lot. And here's why I think the Tamir Rice, and that's, it might go to a grand jury, but it should be the final word based on these two experts, along with all the evidence and testimony. But when they're done, the reason why I say it should be the final word, because like Thomas Sowell said, Every society has orders and rules, but not everyone has the rule of law, a government of laws and not of men. A generation that jumps to conclusions on the basis of its own emotions or succumbs to the passions or rhetoric of others deserves to lose the freedom that depends on the rule of law. And that's really what the Tamir Rice case is about, right? A 12-year-old boy. Oh, yeah. Take a look at what he was involved in. I did. We don't have time for that today. I just don't have that emotional connection. I was flashing a gun around on a, on a playground or in a park. He also, uh, Thomas Sowell goes on to say, if grand juries are supposed to vote on the basis of what mobs want instead of on the basis of what the evidence is, then we forfeit the rule of law and the freedom that depends on it. Bingo. That's from his column, his piece, The Law is Not Optional. You've heard me read that before. So back to the article here. As an economist who has studied racial discrimination, I've begun to look at these deaths from a different angle. There's ample statistical evidence of large and persistent racial bias in other areas from labor markets to online retail markets. I think that's a broad statement. So I expected that police prejudice would be a major factor in accounting for the killings of African Americans. You see what his expectation was? 
And that's okay. You go into, you form an argument when you're doing research. You say, I think I'm, I'm going to look at this and, and, and see what it says. And I'm going to try to prove this. And a hypothesis. And you go about trying to prove it. You look at the data. You do research. You do all that stuff, right? But re- this is key. What his expectation was, he says, I expected that police prejudice would be a major factor in accountings for African-Americans. Where does he get that expectation from? I'll tell you where he gets it from. From Democrat candidates for president. From liberals. From groups like Black Lives Matter. That's where he gets that expectation. He's hearing the propaganda. Back to the story. When I looked at the numbers, that's not exactly what I found. This is where it starts to get interesting. I'm not saying that the police in these specific cases are free of racial bias. I can't answer that question. But what the data does suggest is that eliminating the biases of all police officers would do little to materially reduce the total number of African-American killings. Wow, a liberal Harvard professor based on what the data shows, not his emotion. Back to the story. Police bias may well be a significant problem. You notice how he sneaks these little things in here? Well, that's okay. But in accounting for why some of these encounters turn into killings, it is swamped by other bigger problems that plague our society, our economy, and our criminal justice system. That's some of that liberal bias. See, it's always some outside external reason why these black guys are involved in in questionable lifestyle choices, in criminal activity, right, in selling drugs, in using drugs, in quitting school. It is society that is the problem. Back to the story. To understand how this can be, let us start with the statistics on police killings. According to the FBI's Supplementary Homicide Report, the FBI folks, their data. 31.8% of people shot by police were African-American, a proportion more than two and a half times the 13% of African-Americans in the general population. While this data may be imperfect, other sources in individual states or cities, such as in California and New York, show very similar patterns. Let me stop there. You're damn right it's imperfect. I'm glad he points that out. That's where I question his methodology. Back to the story. The data is unequivocal. Police killings are a race problem. First of all, he hasn't proved that yet. But he says that. Okay, fine. African Americans are being killed disproportionately by by a very wide margin. That may be true, but we got to dig a little bit down into the data to figure out why. Back to the story. And police bias may be responsible. Well, he hasn't proven that yet, but for the sake of the article, let's let that go for now. But this data does not prove that biased police officers are more likely to shoot blacks in any given encounter. Let me say that again. His research shows This data does not prove that biased police officers are more likely to shoot blacks in any given encounter. Whoa, whoa! Stop the presses! 
David Clark. The People's Sheriff. On the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. Hillary Clinton is an actress and she's a politician in that context. She went and felt them out for the first few minutes. And when she saw that they didn't have either the skill nor the guts, the balls to go after her, she took over. And this was like throwing piranhas in a swimming pool. She destroyed them. But what did you see? Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. So we're peeling back the, back the layers of this uh, professor, Melena Fenn, from Harvard College, professor of economics, looking at police killings and what the data says. We left off where it says, this data does not prove that biased police officers are more likely to shoot blacks in any given encounter. And I just want to stop here and go back a little bit. Remember in the beginning, he mentioned Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Walter Scott, and Michael Brown. Eric Garner is another one of those situations. Eric Garner was not killed by police. Eric Garner died of a heart attack brought on by bad health. He was grossly overweight. He had asthma, diabetes. And that physical encounter may have been a contributing factor to the heart attack that his body couldn't deal with. But the police didn't kill him. So take that one out of the mix and take Walter Scott out of the mix. Walter Scott was murdered. (laughs) Yeah. By police in South Carolina. Yeah. Those are anomalies, folks. Like Sandra Bland was not killed by the police. So I'm not going to let these people get away with that. And you have to do that too. When they put this stuff together and they make these claims, challenge everything. So back to the... uh, Analysis of his research here. Instead, there is another possibility. It is simply that for reasons that may well include police bias, African Americans have a very large number of encounters with police officers. See, now he's starting to put in the control factors. That tests the validity of his research. When you put in control factors, but you see he's still mixing in this bias and this emotion and these liberal talking points. But once you put in the control factors... It wipes all of this disparity and, and, and bias and racism away. So why are we transforming American policing based on this lie, this false narrative? It is a very dangerous thing to do. Back to the story, every police encounter contains a risk. You've heard me say that, folks. More risks, more contact, higher risk, more bad outcomes. But then again, you've heard me say, don't fix the police, fix the ghetto. Back to the story, the officer might be poorly trained, might act with malice, or simply make a mistake. And civilians might do something that is perceived as a threat. The omnipresence of guns exaggerates all these risks. Well, what about the omnipresence of guns? I I don't really know what he means by that. Back to the story here, such risks exist for people of any race. Let me say that again. Such risks exists for people of any race. After all, many people killed by police officers are not black. You see what I mean? Those little things get left out of the chants and the slogans and the Black Lives Matter and police are racist, down with the police. 
Many people killed by police officers are not black. But having more encounters with police officers, even with police officers entirely free of racial bias, can create a greater risk of a fatal shooting. That is a valid assumption. That is what every other research that I have looked at proves. That's all it proves. Back to the story. Arrest data lets us measure this possibility. For the entire country, 28.9% of arrestees were African Americans. This number is not very different from the 31.8% of police shooting victims who were African Americans as well. If police discrimination were a big factor in the actual killings, we would have expected a larger gap between the arrest rate and the police killing rate. But the data and research didn't find that, ladies and gentlemen. Now we're getting somewhere. When you start to put in control factors, all the disparity, all the claims of racism, all the claims of discrimination, of bias, start to go poof. They disappear in thin air. Back to the story, this in turn suggests that removing police racial bias will have little effect on the killing rate. Jackpot. It's here in the casino. Suppose each arrest creates an equal risk of shooting for both African Americans and whites. In that case, with the current arrest rate of 28.9% of all those killed by police officers, would still be African American. This is only slightly smaller than the 31.8% of killings we actually see. It is much greater than the 13.2% of African Americans in the overall population. But again, when he puts in control factors, it showed there's no bias or, or, or there's no statistical or research-based empirical evidence that white cops like to shoot black guys. Back to the story, if the major problem is then that African Americans have so many more encounters with police, we must ask why. Well, I'll tell you why. Because of their disproportionate in volume and crime, period. They are disproportionately represented as being suspects named in crime and more often than not, violent crime. That's why African Americans have so many more encounters with police. Back to the story, of course, but this as well, police prejudice may be playing a role. Well, he hasn't proved that, but he says that. After all, police officers decide, do not decide. No, no, let's, let's do that over again. After all, police officers decide whom to stop or arrest. No, they don't. They do not. They decide whom or where to stop or who to arrest based on reasonable suspicion and probable cause and experience and a lot of other factors. They don't just do it willy-nilly, as this suggests. After all, it says police officers decide who to stop or arrest. No, they don't. You cannot arrest unless you have probable cause, and it must be articulable. You can't say, I think this guy's up to no good. That's called reasonable suspicion, but you got to have a, a few more articulable facts in order to use reasonable suspicion to decide who to stop. Back to the story here. But this is too large a problem to pin on individual officers. First, the police are, at least in part, guided by suspect descriptions, and the descriptions provided by victims already show a large 
racial gap. Nearly 30% of reported offenders were black. So police simply stopped suspects at a rate matching these descriptions. African-Americans were being encountering police at a rate close to both the arrest and the killing rate. <laughs> well, surprise, surprise. Second, the choice of where to police is mostly not up to individual officers. And police officers tend to be most active in poor neighborhoods and African-Americans disproportionately living in poverty. That is because that is where the crime is occurring. And it is the white police officer, along with blacks and Hispanics and other uh, races of police officers, who are down there trying to give the overwhelming majority of law-abiding black people some chance to survive. So they're not deciding, like, on a whim where to police. It's where the crime is. It's where black people are killing other black people and raping, robbing, and pillaging other black people as well. Back to the story. In fact, the deeper you look, the more it appears that the race problem revealed by the statistics reflects a larger problem, the structure of our society, our laws, and our policies. Wrong. He is dead wrong. Again, it's always some external reason. It's society's fault. It's the criminal justice system's fault. It's the rule of law's fault. No. Folks, the real reason is questionable lifestyle choices. The real reason is a dysfunctional black culture in the urban ghetto. Don't blame me for that. People choose and make a conscious decision. A conscious decision to involve themselves in criminal activity. We're going to continue this. Uh, we come back and, and it's, it's getting to the end of his research. But this stuff is revealing. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. The bug. On the street, because I'm, I'm on the streets a lot. And yeah, I, I, grew, I know you are. I was born on the streets, grew up on the streets. Uh, I mean, it wasn't Helen in Montana. No, uh, but it was a rough neighborhood. Don't pretend to be a Helen. Yeah. Oh no, 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 no! It was it was a rough neighborhood. Not in your cushy you know, Connecticut shoreline area. Shoreline Connecticut. Yeah. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs> Listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff. So we left off where this Harvard professor and his research on police killings, he wants to blame society. He wants to blame this external reason. That's a typical liberal standpoint, viewpoint. It's not personal responsibility. It's not lifestyle choices. It's somebody else's fault that this guy decided to pick up a gun and go rob uh, convenience stores to make a living or to sell drugs to other people's kids. To make a living. So the story goes on. The war on drugs illustrates that, illustrates that kind of racial bias. African Americans are only slightly more likely to use drugs than whites, yet they are more than twice as likely to be arrested on drug-related charges. One reason is that drug sellers are being targeted more heavily than users. And that is true, but yet we hear our, our jails and prisons are full of drug offenders as if it's the guy who's caught with a little dope in his pocket. It's the seller. They need to be cleared off the streets. 
Back to the, um, uh, the story here with fewer job options. Low-income African-Americans have been disproportionately represented in the ranks of drug sellers. That's an insult. That you would resort to selling drugs to support yourself as if there's no other legal means. What about the transition job where people used to turn? Now, and this is what I talk me when I say this, dysfunctional black subculture. I can't find a job, so I'll go out and commit crime. Back to the story. In addition, the drug laws penalize crack cocaine, a drug more likely to be used by African-Americans far more harshly than powder cocaine. Well, I don't really even care about that. Dope is dope. Let me tell you why blacks sell drugs and involve themselves in criminal behavior instead of a more socially acceptable lifestyle. Because they're uneducated, they're lazy, and they're morally bankrupt. That's why. Back to the story, laws laws and policies need not explicitly discriminate to effectively discriminate. As Anatole France wrote centuries ago, in its majestic equality, the law forbids rich and poor alike to sleep under bridges, beg in the streets, and steal loaves of bread. Right. But let me ask this. How many black people do not use drugs, do not get arrested for drug possession? A lot. We're talking about this small segment here as if we're supposed to have pity. Well, they can't find a job. Well, you know, life has been fair. Racism, discrimination, BS. Back to the story. This is not just about drugs or law enforcement. Poverty plays an essential role in all this. Ah, here we go again. Poverty. Jens Ludwig, an economist at the University of Chicago, who also directs the crime lab there, points out, living in high-poverty neighborhoods increase risks of violent crime involvement, and in the most poor neighborhoods of the country, fully four out of five residents are black or Hispanic. But wait a minute. Overwhelmingly, the poor do not engage in criminal behavior. Four out of five poor people do not engage in criminal activity. This isn't about poverty. Back to the story. We will not sharply reduce police killings of African Americans unless we understand the social institutions that ultimately tie race and crime. In her book, The New Jim Crow, ladies and gentlemen, don't waste your time reading this book. It is junk. The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. Michelle Alexander argues that the American criminal justice justice system itself is an instrument of racial oppression. See what I mean? Someone else's fault. Yet so many other young black males do not get caught up in this. What are they talking about? This is the propaganda. This is the lie. This is the false narrative that has to be challenged. And this research by this liberal Harvard professor is just one in a a, a list, a, a long list of research projects that shows this stuff's all junk. It's garbage. So she goes on to say this, this, this Michelle Alexander in this, uh, the new Jim Crow. Mass incarceration operates as a tightly networked system of laws, policies, customs, and institutions operate collectively to ensure the subordinate status of a group defined by race. She is full of crap. Because the overwhelming majority of black people do not engage in criminal behavior. Degenerates do. Like I said uneducated, lazy, and morally bankrupt 
to find a more socially acceptable way to deal with their poverty. There's lifestyle choices. You drop out of school, you use drugs and alcohol, you're going to limit your chances to find meaningful work. That's not somebody else's fault. That's your fault. Individual police officers did not set these economic policies that limited opportunities or create the harsh sentencing policies that turn minor crimes into lifetime sentences. First of all, that's hyperbole. We do not turn minor crimes into lifetime sentences, number one. And again, this limited opportunities, these economic policies that limited opportunities. There's no limit to opportunities in the United States of America. You see how they slip in, these guys, they slip in this, these, these liberal talking points. The stuff that has no basis, there's no empirical data or research to show that opportunities to black people in the United States are limited. I am living proof. And I am not an anomaly. It is a dysfunctional black subculture that holds these people back, not limited opportunities. Back to the story. We should eliminate police prejudice because it is wrong and because it undermines our democracy. It blights and all too often destroys lives. No, people destroy their own life. Like I said, with questionable lifestyle choices. We have to continue to hammer away at this. That's the message. That's the language. Dysfunctional black subculture. Embracing values that are going to limit you in terms of being successful in the mainstream. More mainstream values. Hard work. Raising your kids. Not having kids out of wedlock. Personal responsibility. Better lifestyle choices. The ability to overcome obstacles, right? You fail, you fall back, you fall down. Gosh darn it, don't lay down in there in a fetal position. Get up. Work harder, remake yourself. Those are the ingredients for success in America. And your gender and your skin color do not hold you back. That used to happen in the United States. It doesn't anymore and we have to stop letting people get, get, get away with telling that lie. Destroys life. People destroy their own life. Individual responsibility. The last line here, but there are also structural problems underpinning these killings. We are all responsible for those. See, there it goes. You know how it ends. There it goes again. We're all responsible. I am not responsible. When some guy goes and decides to have kids out of wedlock, I was not in that bedroom and I was not in that bed when that act happened. Don't tell me I'm responsible for all these kids being born out of wedlock. Don't tell me I'm responsible for these kids not embracing education, that they see education as a white thing. I didn't see it like that. I wasn't raised that way by my mom and dad. Education, they told me, was the traditional vehicle to upward mobility in the United States. It always had been, has been, and it always will be. School failure, dropping out of school is a lifestyle choice. I'm not responsible for that. I didn't drop out of school. So just because, you know, the Black Lives Matter and other cop-hating people repeat over and over again that cops are racist, does not make it bad uh, based on empirical evidence like this thing shows. 
I pointed out the weaknesses of this thing, but still in the end he comes to the right conclusion. More research that disproves the lie, the false narrative. We're out of time for today. You can follow me on Twitter at Sheriff Clark, that's C-L-A-R-K-E, or at thepeoplesheriff.com. Thanks for joining me, and we'll see you next Saturday, good Lord willing. God bless you. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.